Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and you can find out more by visiting their website, it is uh, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar. He's an author. He's also the chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. We've been talking about some of the more basics of libertarian thought. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of uh, jo- Josephus of Oz. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and an author of a terrific book. I'm reading about uh, reading it now. It's called How Everything Happened, Including Us, starting about 13 billion years ago and uh, covering just an immense amount of information in such an interesting way. It's called How Everything Happened, Including Us by Larry Bell. It is September the 9th, and on this day in 1956, Elvis Presley appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show for the first time. I'll never forget it. It's indelibly burned into my brain after earning big ratings for the Steve Allen Show, the Dorsey Brothers Stage Show, and the Milton Berle Show, Sullivan finally reneged on his Presley band, signing the controversial singing star to an unprecedented $50,000 contract for three appearances with 60 million viewers, or 82.6% of TV viewers at the time, tuning in. The appearance garnered the show's best ratings in two years and became the most watched TV broadcast of the 1950s. Can you imagine that? Some of these great songs, Don't Be Cruel, Little Richard's Ready Teddy, Hound Dog, saw a full head-to-toe look at the singer despite fears of vulgar hip-shaking gyrations. He also sang Love Me Tender, and according to Variety, for the first time in history of the record business, a single record achieved one million uh, sales before being released to the public. When it was over, parents and critics, as usual, did a lot of futile grumbling at the vulgarity of the strange phenomenon that must somehow be reckoned with, a viewer of Time magazine wrote at the time. During his second performance, he sang again, Don't Be Cruel, Hound Dog, and Love Me Tender. And uh, the third show, he sang the gospel, uh, Peace in the Valley, and... uh, it did not show him below the waist. I do recall that, too. At the end of his performance, however, Ed Sullivan called Presley a real decent, fine boy. We've never had the pleasant, more pleasanter experience on our show with a big name than we've had with you. Some nice words from Ed Sullivan back in the time. Just fond memories of all that. Those were simpler days, were they not? Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 25 new cases of COVID-19 and no additional deaths in Collier County on Tuesday. Tuesday, there were 46 patients in the hospital, so obviously health care is not being overwhelmed. And I'm talking about 46 COVID-19 patients. The seven-day average of cases declined to 37. You may recall the uh, uh, seven-day average back in July the 13th, I believe it was, was 221. So it's way down, less than half of the seven-day average on August the 15th, which was 78 patients. I have a $2 bet with a good friend. He thinks the number of cases will double because of school starting between August the 31st and uh, September the 13th or 14th. I say it won't, and I'm, it's looking good for that two bucks. A flotilla of boats promoting uh, President Trump while plying the waters around Neal County on Saturday may have been one of the largest such contingents of politically inspired vessels. Brian Renzi organized this Trump boat parade. Uh, They said there's many as 11,000 vessels of all kinds. In Cayuga, there was a similar parade at about 400 boats. And this is happening all over the United States. It's happening right here in Cayuga County. Boat flotillas uh, for President Donald Trump. Not seeing much of that for uh, Joe Biden. In fact, I did see one sign for Joe Biden in Cuyahoga County. President Donald Trump signed an executive order Tuesday extending a moratorium on oil drilling off of Florida's shores. He acknowledged he didn't plan to take this action during the afternoon speech at Jupiter Lighthouse, but the president said he was challenged by senators and others, including Governor Ron DeSantis, who contended such an order would make him the top environmental chief executive since President Teddy Roosevelt more than 110 years ago. Uh, extends until 2032, a moratorium of offshore drilling on the Gulf of Mexico east of a military mission line and adds the South Atlantic coast to Florida, Georgia, 
and South Carolina to the moratorium. The action came more than two years after Florida officials were assured the state's coastline wouldn't be opened as part of the administration's effort to expand oil and gas production pipeline nationwide. Republicans were quick to tout the order to protect the environment and the state tourism's economic engine. We lived in Santa Barbara for a while. Walking the beaches at Santa Barbara, you saw those oil rigs out there, and there's oil on the beach. gets stuck to your feet. You have to be careful while you walk. So I must say, uh, I think this is a very good move, and it's going to be good for tourism, and there's plenty of other sources of oil, including fracking. Well, just weeks after helping to broker a peace between Israel and the United Arab, Arab Emirates, uh, President Trump has been nominated for the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize. It was submitted by a member of the Norwegian parliament. He lauded Trump for his efforts toward resolving protracted conflicts worldwide. He said, I think uh, he's done more trying to create peace between nations than most other Peace Prize nominees. Also cited in the letter was the president's key role in facilitating contact between conflicting parties and creating new dynamics and other protracted conflicts, such as the Kashmir border near India and Pakistan and the conflict between North and South Korea, as well as dealing with the nuclear capabilities of North Korea. He also further praised Trump for withdrawing a large number of troops from the Middle East. Indeed, Trump has brokered, broken a 39-year oil old streak of American presence, either starting a war or bringing the United States into an international armed conflict. So that's, those are uh, kind words for President Trump. Uh, this is not Trump's first nomination. He was submitted, This was uh, submitted also in 2018 for the President's Singapore summit with Kim Jong-un. Japan's prime minister reportedly did the same. Trump did not win, of course, then. And uh, given the history of uh, the Nobel Peace Prize group, it's determined by a five-person Nobel committee, which is appointed by the Norwegian parliament. The winner of the Peace Prize for 2021 will not be announced until October, but I think the timing here for the president is quite nice as he goes into November into the election. Did you see Trump's rally in North Carolina yesterday? I watched it. It was just maybe he was on fire and in full campaign mode. He said uh, Senator Kamala Harris is further left than Senator Bernie Sanders, the self-described Democrat socialist and a favorite of the progressive left, ripping into the 2020 Democratic ticket. Uh, Trump said that his opponent, Joe Biden, has formed an old unholy alliance with the most extreme and dangerous elements of the radical left. You know who's further left than crazy Bernie? Kamala, the president continued. She could never be the first woman president. That would be an insult to our country, he added. He said he wanted to see a woman president, just not Harris. Uh, Trump also added that Biden is a nicer person, but not as smart. <laughs> he also said that the left is running the Democrat Party, adding, you don't want to be dealing with the left. These people are stone cold crazy, said Trump. If Biden is elected, Trump said the economy will collapse. Remember when President uh, Obama said, what's he going to do, wave a magic wand? Well, no, he's going to get rid of all kinds of regulations, going to reduce taxes and uh, get the gummed up system for doing business here in the United States in the private sector, free it up, and that's what he's done. He claimed that the former vice president wants to impose a $4 trillion tax hike, ban American energy, eliminate American borders, confiscate your guns, appoint pro-crime judges, destroy the suburbs, indoctrinate your children, and implement a ruinous shutdown of the entire U.S. economy. That's what he said. Trump said that Biden supports cutting police funding and ending cash bail, referring to a criminal justice plan where Biden proposed ending the cash bail system. He also took aim at the Democrat ticket over their comments about a potential future coronavirus vaccine after Harris said she wouldn't trust Trump when it comes to a vaccine. Trump also said Biden and Harris are risking countless lives with reckless anti-vaccine rhetoric. They're trying to disparage it, and they're trying to make, make it politics. Uh, Trump also sought to lay out his plan for the next four years if elected. He promised to end reliance on China and make America in the manufacturing superpower of the world. And he wants to take out terrorists and keep the U.S. out of endless wars, protect Medicare, Social Security, and those with pre-existing conditions. He also promised to hire more police, increase penalties for assaults on law enforcement, bring more federal prosecutors into high-crime areas, and end sanctuary cities. 
We will restore patriotic education to our schools, and we will teach our children to love our country, honor our history, and always respect our great American flag, he concluded. You can, <laughs> he was just so much on fire, and he just, the juxtaposition of his platform and what he wants to bring out and what he says will happen with uh, a Trump or Biden presidency, it was just really miraculous. I think he gave a great speech. Uh, with, of course, frequent criticism of Biden. Well, I don't know if you heard about this, but the Rochester police chief, deputy chief, and other command staff announced retirements in light of recent riots. Allegedly, Mayor Lovely Warren, who's been questioning Singletary's leadership following the March 30th death of Daniel Prude, so she's, a, she's a, well, I think, one of the youngest mayors ever elected in the United States, do you think there could be more rioting in Rochester after this happens? I certainly do. More abject failure of leadership by Democrats. She called out the chief of police publicly without any information and without uh, due process. When are they going to figure out that they're hurting themselves when they do these types of things? She thinks she's self-protecting and leading. She's not leading. She's uh, destroying, actually creating help to destroy the city of Rochester with this move. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy, chairman of that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Great season of productions lined up, and I hope you check out the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's an author. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot org, O-R-G, on the web. Great organization and think tank in Washington, D.C. So, Bob, uh, we started our conversation about libertarian thoughts and ideas, which is really the basis and foundation of the Cato Institute. So I know from our previous discussion, you think the Declaration of Independence is just as important to libertarians as the Constitution. Can you tell us more about the link between the two documents? Sure. The the Declaration, of course, uh, predated the Constitution, 1776 for the Declaration, 1789 for the Constitution. But before both of those, there were our natural rights, which we possessed from birth, with or without government, and the cardinal moral truths set out by Jefferson in the Declaration were that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Those are the natural rights he was talking about. And among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then Jefferson added, and I think this is a key phrase, to secure these rights. Now, notice he didn't say grant these rights. He said secure. So we already had them. Um, To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. So we're all created equal, which means that no one has rights um, superior to anyone else's rights before the law, that is. And furthermore, we're born with those rights. We do not get them from government. Indeed, uh, whatever powers government has comes from us, from the consent of the government, uh, of the governed, and our, our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think that implies the right to live our lives as we want to pursue happiness, as we think best, uh, provided only that we respect the equal rights of others, and that's a a very libertarian principle, and I think it's fair to say that the founders uh, were libertarian. Mm -hmm. And then when it came time to draft the Constitution, the founders drew upon those principles outlined in the declarations, and the basic task was devising government that would be strong enough to secure the rights against both domestic and foreign uh, predators, but not so strong as to be oppressive itself. And to achieve that, the government, uh, the Constitution granted the government certain limited powers, checked and balanced, of course, uh, to prevent abuse. Quite an intriguing scheme. It is indeed, and it's endured the uh, the, the pressure of time over time. It's 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 as alive today and strong in terms of uh, its principles as as it was when it was first drafted. So the Declaration speaks of unalienable rights endowed by our Creator. Can you reference to a Creator being reconciled with the Constitution's separation of church and state? Yeah, I don't believe there's a conflict there. Jefferson and several of the other framers were deists, meaning that they believed in God as Creator, but not necessarily in a God who continues to interact uh, with mankind. But for constitutional purposes, that that belief is not... Uh, germane. The, the constitutional framework doesn't hinge on whether rights come from God or from nature. The important thing is they don't come from the king. They don't come from government. Individuals have rights independent of government. So the Constitution addresses the relationship between individuals and government, not between individuals and God. Uh, the constitutional baseline is that man, not government, possesses rights some of which are enumerated in the Bill of Rights. They're not granted by, and they're not taken from, government. Um, So it's we, and not the government, to do the granting. Uh, The government has certain powers, and they're derived from us, from the consent of the government, uh, of the governed. And we want to grant, we grant these powers to, to secure our rights. So in a nutshell, we start with the rights, whether they're God given or natural, and then we protect the rights by delegating limited and enumerated powers to the govern, government that's bound by this written constitution. And that, that document 
doesn't separate God from our lives, but it does separate God from government. And protects us from the government in terms of uh, how we worship and what we do in terms of uh, our behavior. So the Bill of Rights wasn't added until 1791, two years after the Constitution was ratified. Why wasn't the Bill of Rights included in the original document? Well, there was great pressure to do so, uh, but uh, the founders decided not to. And then they later added a Bill of Rights as an extra precaution, even though Madison, among others, thought that initially it was unnecessary. And his argument was that there are some rights, like life, liberty, and property, that are part of our natural rights and our common law heritage. We possess those rights before the Constitution was written. We never relinquished them. So we didn't need a document to say that we had them. And then second, other rights, like, let's say, free exercise of religion, uh, didn't have to be guaranteed because the Constitution was a document that enumerated the federal government's limited powers. And since the federal government had no enumerated power to control religious exercise, uh, then we didn't need a right mm -hmm. to protect against that. If there's no power to restrict religion, it wouldn't be necessary to have a right to protect it against uh, that uh, restriction. And then Madison, it was also concerned that if you list certain rights, it might be misinterpreted to mean that you don't have any others. Right. And since it wouldn't be possible to list each and every right, then the framers decided they would add the Ninth Amendment, which says that the enumeration of some rights uh, can't be construed to deny that you have other rights retained by the people. And some of those unenumerated rights like travel, like privacy. They're protected, uh, even if they're not expressly listed in the Bill of Rights. So interesting. They, they selected these uh, eight, I guess, we uh, rights that we have. I guess they were very important, and they wanted to make sure they were certainly protected, like, for example, the Second Amendment. So uh, maybe they were careful in what they chose in terms of those Bill of Rights and thought that they might be most vulnerable to attack. They were a lot more careful than subsequent legislators and <coughs> And government officials have been in protecting the rights that the framers initially set up, Second Amendment being a perfect example of that. Yeah, so in the 214 years since the Constitution and the Bill of Rights was ratified, it's been amended only 17 times. That's amazing. What do you think there have been so few changes, even though the framers could never have imagined our 21st century and what it would look like? I think there, there are three reasons why there are... Uh, only 17 amendments, and two of those reasons are good ones, and one is not so good. The first good reason is that the Constitution is this incredibly well-crafted document written by these brilliant guys who had a vision of liberty, every bit as relevant uh, today as it was back in 1789. The second a good reason is that Article 5, which governs the amendment process, uh, sets up some difficult hurdles. Mm -hmm. So essentially two-thirds of both the House and the Senate propose amendments, then they have to be ratified by three-fourths of the states. And not surprisingly, that hasn't happened very often. And as a result, we have this const stable constitutional uh, uh, framework, 17 amendments versus some countries that have had 17 constitutions mm -hmm. over that uh, period. So the, the one bad reason is that the Supreme Court seems to have accomplished through the back door uh, what Congress and the states couldn't accomplish through the amendment process. And the modern court sometimes loses its compass, and that has um, implications for all of us. Um, that's, that's a subject, as you know, that I addressed in a book um, that I co-authored with uh, Chip Mellon, the president of the Institute for Justice, where we documented how the court has, in effect, rewritten the Constitution by expanding government and uh, failing to secure the individual liberty that the framers were so careful to uh, protect. Yeah, you know, we've had uh, appointments to the Supreme Court that were kind of political appointments at times, but I think our, what now the president is uh, really addressing that by making sure that we have true constitutional scholars, scholar, people that are true to the Constitution and the rule of law, as opposed to being active judicial uh, judges like we've had in the bench, which has led to the problem that you've, that you've cited. And the president deserves great credit for that, and I think perhaps his most important accomplishment is to um, ensure that the, the courts, uh, that the new appointments to the courts have been um, responsive to the text of the Constitution, yeah. and have not made up law, which is apparently, which is the function of 
the legislative body and not the function of the judicial body. The function of the judicial body, of course, is to interpret the law, and the best way to interpret the law is to read what's in the Constitution. And indeed, uh, President Trump has been diligent in uh, in following that process. Yeah, Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the uh, Cato Institute. Bob, I found this to be so informative and interesting. Thank you so much for your uh, commentary here on the show. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. Again, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. Terrific organization. Get a lot done. Find out more by visiting the, the website, thefga. Org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. Uh, he's also an author. His book is Josephus of Oz. Uh, off topic for today's discussion, we always talk about what's happening in our culture with Andy. Andy, a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. And it's, it's all culture, if I might. Yes, it is all culture. I mean, instead of talking about politics, we're talking about what's happening to our culture. And let's just start out with this whole notion of reparations. That seems to be an important theme to Democrats, uh, calling for reparations for the harm and the abuse that we've created uh, in our past at lives, in our, in our uh, people that we've, inherit, we've inherited from, uh, from uh, centuries ago. What are your thoughts? Well, reparations is a, uh, a concept that basically suggests the, uh, the unearned wealth of white America uh, is a derivative of almost entirely of the slave labor uh, coming uh, into America from 1619 forward. As a matter of fact, that is the heart of the 1619 project. Um, economists have studied the whole issue of the economic benefit derived from slavery, both in the United States and in Britain, and, and all have concluded, almost all have concluded, uh, that the, uh, the cost of dismantling slavery far exceeded the benefit of, of slavery. 
I also, uh, in my in my essay on this, I, I indicate that slavery was more uh, endemic to to Africa than any place in the world, and uh, the availability was made uh, possible. The availability of slaves in West Africa made available by uh, African chieftains. Uh, it was a, a normal phenomenon of the of the African culture. Uh, I suggested that uh, slaves themselves, although no one of of course wants to be a slave. Uh, but on the other hand, there was no challenge to the very institution of slavery. Uh, so the notion that re- reparations should be paid, I've heard some numbers uh, in excess of $10 trillion that would be uh, laid out for reparate, uh, reparations for the descendants of, of slaves. And to try to compute how that would happen if somebody has one thirty-second um, uh, African-American as compared to one-sixteenth or as compared to one-sixty-fourth, uh, the, the whole process is... Uh, is impossible. Now, having said it's impossible, I predict it will happen. Uh, if, in fact, there's a Democrat sweep in November, if they take the House, uh, hold the House, take the Senate, and win the presidency, God forbid, uh, I believe reparations in, in some form, and I think it'll be a big form, will be paid out in, in some model. Hmm. Uh, so reparations is a, has become a, a focus centerpiece uh, of, the, of the Democrat Party, uh, and it's an integral part of the 1619 project that was initiated by the New York Times. And, of course, it is also a, a, a centerpiece of definition of critical race theory, Bob. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking about our previous interview with Bob Lieber. We talked about some of the fundamentals and basics of libertarian thought. We talked about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, as well as the Declaration of Independence. Of course, outlining that we are all free and the purpose of government is simply to protect us from internal and external predators. Uh, and uh, the purpose of government is also to protect our rights uh, being free. And yet think about this conversation you and I are having right now. What is it all about? It's all about guilt, shame. Uh, it's about uh, uh, political identity or, or, you know, whites versus black or racism, institutional racism. These things don't exist within the Constitution. Well, there's no doubt, but a critical race theorist would, would suggest that everything you said was fallacious because you're a white man, Bob. Essentially, uh, the fact that the government is race-neutral and tries to uh, extol the virtues and the benefits to the individual uh, would be totally rejected within critical race theory. Uh, in that theory, everything has been modified, has been dramatically modified uh, by the existence of a race, whether it's identifiable or just clandestine, uh, it doesn't matter. It exists and it's irremovable. The only way to deal with it, according to critical race theorists, is to, by law, create uh, profound benefit benefits for the African-American group. Bob. Hmm. I'm white, but I can't help it, Andy. Well, you struggled, Bob, but I know it, <laughs> it, it, it's difficult. You are a very white man, Bob, so I, I want to reinforce that. You're making it all you the know, worse, I guess. Um, I, I did some background research on critical race theory, which, again, as I mentioned, has become the centerpiece of, of almost everything that's happening in America at this point. We, we just saw the president move the budget office to uh, remove the funding in the federal agencies for critical race theory. Uh, but again, the, in the background work, uh, what I what I found out, and I was vaguely aware of it, I've become more specifically aware of it. One of the primary authors of critical race theory was a Harvard professor who later became a professor of law at New York University. That was Derek Bell. Uh, Derek Bell, we can document, was an anti-Semite, anti-white, anti-Asian, uh, a radical uh, r- racial uh, proponent uh, by every measurement. The interesting extension, as, as Bell in the 70s uh, puts a definition to critical race theory, is that he was the prime intellectual author of the, uh, of the philosophies that were espoused by uh, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, who was the uh, 20-year pastor of Barack Obama. Barack Obama, when he was teaching his constitutional law course, uh, would insist and demand as part of the course that his students read the writings, the most radical writings, of, of Derek Bell. Uh, so I, I can't document this. I don't have the resources to do the research, unfortunately. But I would suggest a, much of what we're seeing right now is under the influence of Barack Obama in his post-presidency, uh, as he has been a, uh, espoused the basic concept of critical race theory through one of his, and uh, perhaps his major, intellectual forebear, and that was Derek Bell.
That is so interesting. And, of course, not only did the president put a stop to this, he did not only stop the funding, he basically ordered all heads to, to immediately cease and desist with any kind of teaching around critical race theory and uh, white, uh, what, what is it called, white uh, uh, fragility. But also uh, yeah. the, the 1619 project as well, he said he wants to make sure that we're implementing programs that teach real history and teach kids to be proud of the country that uh, the United States of America. It, it all depends on the on the broad shoulders of, of President Trump. There mm -hmm. is very little pushback other than that. And again, as I suggested before, uh, I would think uh, suggest that if we look at the the major military sources for the inclusion of critical race theory in the in the training programs or in the federal agencies, which in uh, the most focused area is the uh, Sandia Nuclear Laboratories. Uh, I would suggest that most of those people who are running those organizations or head the military areas where this has been done are either direct Obama appointees or strong yeah. Obama supporters. So I think what we're looking at is a direct uh, uh, line from Derek Bell into Jeremiah Wright into Barack Obama and the persistence of that. Uh, I would, I would, I can't prove it, unfortunately, but I would suggest it is a direct uh, result of the, re of the actions yeah. of Barack Obama. No question. I mean, the swamp is deep and polluted. Andy, I want to continue the conversation. Can you stick around? I will be here. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just uh, hearing that St. Matthew's House commercial, I hope you'll support them. But I know that the uh, Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center definitely supports uh, St. Matthew's House. And uh, they serve great breakfast and lunch. I hope you'll stop by Lulabee's Diner at the uh, Green Tree Shopping Center and, and enjoy a great breakfast or lunch. We're again, we're going to continue the conversation with Andy Joppa. Uh, Andy Joppa is a professor and author of Josephus Vaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Andy, I'm so proud to hear you are going to get an award uh, this on the, tw I think it's the 22nd of October. 20, 23rd of, of September, actually. Oh, it's so 23rd of close. September. Okay, great. <laughs> you are very close, Bob. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, very, I'm very proud of this because it, uh, it highlights what I dedicated most of my, 
adult and pre- uh, professional life too, and that is the uh, the Constitution. And this is a, a constitutional conservative award being given to me at the Hilton on the 23rd by the Republican Women's Group of Southwest Florida Federated. I'll just quickly give their um, their email if anyone wants to contact them to get the details. It's info at rwsff.org. Info at rwsff.org. And so it's uh, it's coming late in my in my career. Let, let's call it Bob. But I'm 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 very pleased that the work I've done for the Constitution over not only my time here in Naples, but my my uh, my prior career in in New York uh, has been focused on the Constitution. So uh, I can't think of anything that I would be prouder to receive than an honor. Uh, in, in regards to the Constitution. So uh, that will be on the 23rd yeah. of September. Bob. Well, you know, I, I hope you'll send me just to, again, I didn't write that down, and I'd like to uh, follow up and, and go because I'd like to support you in that. I think that's a wonderful gesture on their part, and congratulations to you. You definitely deserve it, Andy. Uh, Thank you, Bob. Thank so you wrote a couple of columns about 9-11 and Labor Day. Uh, can you make some comments for us? Well, I have a sort of an intimate uh, involvement with um, with 9/11. I was teaching a class in Manhattan uh, at the time of 9/11. Uh, classes resumed the following Tuesday, and my my students, each and every one, had lost someone at the World Trade Center. I lost a uh, a very good friend who was on the phone with his his wife as the second plane came directly at him, and he all he had time to say was "I love you" and goodbye. So. It's very poignant memories. My my son was on the recovery team with Giuliani in the barge in the uh, in the Hudson River uh, post nine eleven. Um, and the thing that I, I somewhat highlighted in this nine uh, eleven essay I wrote was there's a general feeling that we were very unified at that point in time, and certainly there was a unity in grief. Uh, but I attended a a large, very large uh, public gathering organized by my college, which included. Um, faculty, students, and, and outside community members. And the, the issue on the table was 9 11. And I can honestly say that at that large gathering, I was the only one that offered absolute statements of the, the fact that uh, America was guiltless, that the, um, hijack, that the hijackers of the planes and the actors in that, in that process uh, were uh, Islamic jihadists. Uh, and yet, my comments trying to defend America and, and focus where the blame should have been placed, all were rejected in a group, Bob, that I was to estimate around 250 to 300 people. Uh, so I, the, the unity, I think, uh, was in grief, but not in terms of, of ideology. Yeah. Uh, immediately, President Bush was, was blamed only in office eight months. Uh, it was suggested by some in, conspiratorial way, in a conspiratorial way that the United States government had staged it, and if not the United States government, it was the Israeli Mossad. So unity, no, I, I didn't see that. I didn't feel that in terms of what I experienced in New York uh, in the immediate aftermath of, of 9-11, Bob. Yeah, you know, I think it gets back to this whole theme of, uh, again, uh, institutional racism and uh, the white fragility and this whole thing. Somehow, some way, should we f- should feel some sense of shame for who we are in America. That's a persistent theme, isn't it? Well, it is, and, and certainly uh, critical race theory is, I think, the defining element of that, but uh, I, I, I presume the way a CRT proponent would talk about 9-11, uh, they would suggest that white supremacy has, in fact, through its actions with people of color, uh, haven't, have generated the angst that was necessary to have these fine young men um, hijack these planes and, and kill 3,000 people. Yeah. Uh, it is a concept that is used widely to explain almost everything. If we get back to, for example, President uh, Obama's remark at the time, President Obama, where he said, uh, uh, you didn't build it, as he addressed himself to, uh, to uh, American businessmen. Uh, it has been w- widely presumed that that meant that the infrastructure of America had to support those businesses, and therefore they, they didn't build it. I think there's a far larger and more sweeping uh, interpretation of that. That is a critical race theory, that no white person who owns anything or has accomplished anything has done it on their own merits. 
uh, the word, the very word merit is rejected in the, in the, uh, in the very basic ideology of critical race theory. Right. So uh, there's so many issues we can explore using CRT as the way the, the left is approaching the interpretation of these events in American history. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, things like uh, can-do attitude, uh, focused on goals, being assertive and trying to, to accomplish things, those are all things about white privilege that we should be ashamed of. <laughs> well, as we talked last week, Bob, the most positive human attributes, hard work, dedication, loyalty, all of these things are are seen as nothing more than, than characteristics of white supremacy. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very dangerous concept because it's being fed into the African-American community, and these concepts are being rejected. These extremely value behavior, valuable, behaviorable con- concepts are being rejected as being nothing more than and, and the characteristics of white supremacy. Yeah. So interesting, Andy. Before I let you go, can you make a comment on Labor Day? Just quickly on Labor Day, uh, if I could just say something uh, that would be focused. Um, it has long been said, uh, things have been said to, uh, to, to the nature that America was built on the, the muscle and the sweat of the laboring man, and I, I, I reject that concept. I think that has been an important contribution. But we can scan the globe uh, through any period of history, and we can find almost in every nation at any time they had exactly that. They had the strong back of the laborer uh, as the as the major element in their in their economic system, and those economic systems failed uh, or or faltered at least. Uh, in America, there has to be another explanation, and I believe the the explanation in America is the application of intelligence to the process of labor. That that application of intelligence wasn't just external to the laborer. The laborer was part of that of that intelligence. So America churned forward not on the sweat and the muscle of the laborer, but on the intelligent application of of how to make labor more efficient, how to create a, an environment in which the the output of labor could warrant a much higher compensation package than they uh, they had received previously. So American labor was successful because of intelligence applied to the muscle. Uh, and I think that is what's always left out of the equation. And I thought that needed to be highlighted on Labor Day. Well, I'm so happy you did. I, I would add that it's also the intelligent application and use of capital. Uh, capital tends to flow to those who use it wisely and flows away from those who don't. And, uh, of course, because of our free enterprise system and our private markets and the ability to apply capital and labor intelligently leads to out- outstanding outcomes and, of course, competition. There's, there's, no, there's no doubt. I, I was a laborer. I worked in a factory for a couple of years. I mentioned in my essay, I received an incentive award for saving the company $100,000 a year. I'm not saying that was unique. I think uh, American labor has been uh, a significant contributor of to the course. well-being of, of themselves and of of American business over the over the last hundred years. Bob. Absolutely. Andy, I just always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you next week, Bob. Thank you, Andy. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston, arguably one of the smartest men I've ever met. Uh, he's written several books, a couple on climate change. His latest, and I'm reading it right now, How Everything Happened, Including Us, Professor Larry Bell. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
With all the threats to faith, family, and freedom, Christian Television Network, the Faith Center Fort Myers, and Florida Pastors Network invite you to Healing Our Nation Tuesday, September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. for a free panel discussion on engaging and impacting culture with a biblical worldview. Distinguished national guest Bishop E.W. Jackson, founder of Stand Foundation, staying true to America's national destiny. John Stenberger, founder of Florida Family Policy Council and called to vote, along with historian and best-selling author Dr. William Federer, want to equip you to effectively respond to the moral and social issues impacting our community. Join us live on television September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. on CTN Southwest Florida or live streaming at ctntelevision.com or in person at the Faith Center. Details, ctntelevision.com. That's ctntelevision.com. Or call 239-543-7200. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. He's also the author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Professor. And I must say I'm about a third of the way through the book. I'm enjoying it so much. Congratulations, I think, on a real contribution. I just encourage our listeners to uh, check out how every, I got it on uh, from Amazon on Kindle, How Everything Happened, Including Us. Uh, you must be very proud of the book. Well, I don't know if proud is the right word. I certainly enjoyed writing it, and I learned a lot from it, which is really why I write as much as I do. Uh, it keeps me, keeps me uh, kind of engaged in, in the world and, and beyond. And uh, that book, of course, when you're writing about the history of everything, and it's, it's not tongue-in-cheek. I mean, it really is an attempt to kind of understand contextually, uh, you know, how everything really did happen, how, how life came about, and uh, how, how we're, uh, you know, time is, terms of major developments is really accelerating and we you know we, you compare billions of years to get to the first cell and the replicating cell and so on and now you look what what happens in a decade or a year or a, or a week uh, in terms of uh, particularly with information technology accelerating everything artificial intelligence and so on and and now we're really having to grapple with the notion of what is intelligence and uh, what is it to be human and what is it to think human. and So it's, uh, it's, it's quite an adventure, and, and uh, I certainly loved writing it. Yeah, I, well, I will say that uh, I don't know what I expected, but I've been, I'm being informed in so many different ways that I, and, and thinking about life and, the, and, the, and our development in Far different ways than I expected, so I really appreciate uh, the contribution, how everything happened, including us. Professor, I understand that uh, I haven't read it yet, but you've written a, a, a new column on core values. Yeah, it just came out uh, last evening, and uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of sobering. And it, I began talking about how, how Senator Sanders has noted, I think, you know, very, actually, you know, very accurately, saying... Uh, uh, we really, when he was talking at the Democrat National Convention, he said, "You know, we've really come a long way in five years." And he was kind of self-congratulating himself that uh, many of the ideas that he fought for just a few years ago were considered radical or mainstream today. And so, in this latest article, I I talk about those those things that have changed, and clearly they have. You know they deconstruction and replacement of capitalism with the idea of socialism that that uh, would have been pretty much unthinkable just a few years ago. And the whole social injustice and economic inequity mantra we hear about where uh, everybody is, uh, is this kind of envy, you know, envy thing where rather than taking pride in what we accomplish, 
and what the world and what the nation has accomplished. It's a matter of of uh, this kind of this kind of victim identity mm-hmm. uh, stereotyping, which is taken over. And uh, instead of and promoting I, promoting instead of promoting the whole notion of opportunity, what's really promoting is the whole notion of envy and greed. You know what? What exactly. neighbor has somehow, some way, I deserve. And I'm not saying that all of us believe that, but I think that's what, what you're suggesting is what's being promoted. Well, it's that, and then it's, and then this whole notion of uh, some people are being held back by this marketing of systemic racism now, and uh, we see this. You know, it's, it's terrifying to me. We see the rewriting of history to. Uh, Suggests that you know we're just an evil country. We have this, we have this poisonous seed in us, this racism, and it's being brought to the public schools. You know through this, through this uh, 1619 project promoted by the New York Times, mm. not just promoted but sponsored by them. Where the notion is the whole country was founded on on, on slavery, and and uh, and you know it's it's just inevitable that that will carry that evil gene forever, you know, and uh, it's, it's just it's just an insidious thing. To, to go. And then the, we're experiencing the cancellation of American, you know, American culture and free speech, and God forbid we should we should make some untoward remark to, to anyone that would suggest a, a basis for some microaggression in someone, you know, this, this notion that we're becoming so... You know, we we can't joke anymore. We, you know, and I'm not talking about you mean spirited jokes. I'm just saying, you know, the thought police and the and the language police are out there, and mm-hmm. you know, it can get you fired from your job. It can get you uh, socially ostracized, and get the the Twitter police after you. It's it's pretty scary. And then and then we see the assaults on on public order and safety. You know, where you know where we see now that. Uh, Protests, which we've always supported as a nation, is being morphed into well, looting and vandalism. And well, if somebody needs your property more than you do, then maybe they won't. That ought to be considered before you, uh, you, know, you before you book them and and uh, and bring them before you know the courts. Yeah. It's just and then this the the thing again with. Uh, Dissolution of national borders and our sovereignty—the whole, the whole thing that gives a nation meaning, where where it can uh, establish rules and, and laws, where it's, it's not just in a, in an open area or a mob rule, and and all of these things, all of these things have been challenged in a way that that would never have any legitimacy a few years ago. I'm so happy that you wrote this column. I'm looking at it right now and just opened it. And, it, uh, you know, in, in a sense, it kind of outlines the Democratic platform, doesn't it? I mean, we have a real choice to make on November the 3rd. And I, as uh, I'm looking at these things, that, to these points that you're raising, the president is basically a standing firm and saying, hey, I'm your protection against this assault on our culture. And uh, quite frankly, I mean, I, the, the choice is clear pretty much is that we're going to, and he, I think he's articulated it very well. We're going to see a, a transformation of the country to socialism that is, we're not going to like the outcome. It's not going to be pleasant. And I think he's been pretty clear about that. Well, I think a lot of, a lot of people, certainly I do, and, and my wife Nancy, and people, you know, feel this very deeply that you know, we don't realize. You know, it's become uh, this personality cult. And, well, I don't like Trump because of his tweets. And I say, well, you know, you don't like a football player maybe because he, uh, you know, maybe he tweets or smells bad. But, you know, but so long as he wins the games, yeah, that's what you care about. And, and this is the biggest game of all. And, it's, you know, this is, this is not just a game. It has to do with not only our future, but more importantly, you know, the future of our children and, and theirs. Absolutely. Professor, I'm so happy you wrote this. I just It's a great read. I haven't read it yet, but I'm just looking at the titles here and the uh, uh, perusing the column. I encourage our listeners to go to Newsmax.com and check out uh, Professor Bell's column, On Point. 
uh, just great information. Professor, that plus, of course, the great book, uh, How Everything Happened, Including Us. I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. So much enjoy him. What a brilliant man. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly learned a lot. It was uh, interesting, and, and I think the themes of the show came right through. I was uh, about the whole notion of the Constitution, the rule of law, and seeing it challenged on so many fronts in so many different ways. A great, uh, For me, a great, a great opportunity to discuss these things. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll visit with Michael Cannon. He is a director of healthcare studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government, and Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate his commentary. If you'd like to receive uh, uh, my newsletter, which I send out after each show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>